0: Last March in New York City, there was a trial that took place, and a young woman named Jennifer, who received her jury summons, and she goes and she gets on the jury of this trial. And as she sits there day one in the jury box, she starts talking to this man next to her. His name is John. He's quite a bit older than she is. Um, But she strikes up a conversation and talks, and as they listen to the morning proceedings and the judge and the lawyer speaking, and they're there. And at the lunch recess, Jennifer goes out and she goes shopping, and John kind of stays around. And at the end of the recess, Jennifer comes back and she has all these bags with her and stuff that she's purchased and sits back down next to John and they're talking again and they go through the afternoon proceedings and that evening as John goes home, as he's hanging up his coat, he pulls his wallet out of his coat and notices that it feels a little bit different. So he opens up his wallet and he notices that his credit card is missing and he thinks to himself at the time, no big deal, I misplaced a lot of things so it could be in the car, it could just be somewhere in the house, not a big deal, it'll turn up. So the next day, they get back to the trial, and Jennifer's here, and John's here, and they're listening as the proceedings keep going, and at lunch, John hangs out. Jennifer goes out shopping again. She comes back after the shopping trip, and uh, she's got handbags and jeans and a new pair of Air Jordans, and uh, John's like, that's great, but it kind of clicks in John's mind. Oh yeah, that's right, my credit card, I should call about that, but sits through the afternoon, proceedings and uh in this afternoon recess he calls the credit card company hey guess what i think i lost uh, misplaced my credit card i don't know where it is and the credit card company says that's funny there's been quite a bit of activity on your card the past couple days oh really can you tell me what stores and as the credit card company starts naming the stores it starts to click in his mind i've seen that bag i've seen that bag i've seen that bag So he goes immediately to the judge and he says, listen, uh, the lady next to me stole my credit card. And the judge is like, all right, pulls the prosecutor in, says we need to do a little bit of homework on this thing. So as the day ended, the prosecutor goes to the stores and he starts watching the surveillance video. And sure enough, in walks Jennifer and she's buying stuff. As a matter of fact, at the last store, the cashier asked Jennifer for her ID to use that credit card and she just booked it out of the store. So, the next morning, the trial starts, and uh, Jennifer sits down, and John sits down, and John has a little smirk on his face, and as the trial begins, the prosecutor calls the bailiff over, and they arrest Jennifer, right there in the middle of the court proceedings. Now, this story in and of itself isn't that spectacular until you understand that the trial that they were sitting on was to accuse a man of credit card theft, Right, So you you get this picture of four days, this went on four days, Jennifer sat in the jury box and listened to testimony and listened to the prosecutor and listened to the judge talk about what the penalty was for stealing a credit card. And she nodded her head and she listened and she participated in dialogue about the whole thing, but the entire time she stole the credit card of the guy next to her. It, it seems crazy, right? It seems absolutely unbelievable. But you know what? This is our story. And, and this is where we're going today. And you're going to find that it's, it's not too far of a distance from the juror's box to the stand. And if you can imagine it, if you can picture it in your mind, if you're in the jury, and if you have this picture in your mind of this courtroom, and everything's going on, but you're sitting there in the jury, and when you stand up to accuse the defendant, the whole room shifts And instead of the jury, you're all of a sudden the defendant. And the charges that you were accusing the other person of are being leveled against you. And that's what Paul's talking to us about. We're continuing in our series of Romans, courtroom to living room. And I want you to understand that this is a progression that we're going along. And we're in the courtroom now, and we're going to make it to the living room. But the courtroom is a little bit uncomfortable. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Romans chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible that's in the pew there, it's on page 1113. Last week, Steve Fowler talked to us about replacing God, about how God has revealed himself to humanity, but what they did was they chose to replace God with the things around them, and they chose to pursue things like possessions and power and prosperity Instead of God. And, and there's this list of the sin. There's this list of the things that happen bad to these people. And if you read in chapter 1 like we did last week, a lot of the words used in there are they and them and their. But the first word that we read in chapter 2 is you. And this should make us go, uh-oh. Because you know what? It's really easy to talk about they, It's really easy to talk about them and their. You know, they did that, and I can't believe that they're continuing along, and it's, oh man, they're a mess. And it's really hard to talk about the you part of this passage. Verse one, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment Do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And that's an indictment against us as well. Because a lot of the times that we judge other people, it may or may not be based on truth. But when God judges, it is based on truth. Verse 3. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? See, God's saying this. Listen, you're not the judge. As a matter of fact, you're not even on the jury. You're the defendant, and you have been found guilty. Now, I know that this message has a lot of this feel to it, right? It it feels like a you, like a finger-pointing thing. And so I want to just remind you that when I say you, I understand my mom taught me that when you point your finger, three more are pointing back at yourself, So I I just want you to hear it's the us. It's a we. As it's written, you. I'm not standing up here saying you without the understanding that, that this is us, right? But the passage says, you are just as bad. You have no excuse. This passage was written to the Jewish people who thought that they could sit in judgment on the Gentile people because the Jewish people, as we know, are God's chosen people. And because... Jewish people are chosen people. That means that in the ranking system, they're a little bit higher. And of course we can sit on judgment. But, but Paul's saying, no, no, you have no excuse. You're just as bad. You do the same things. As a matter of fact, maybe it's even worse because you as Jewish people have the prophets and you have the law. And you should know better. If we look at verse nine in chapter two, it says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, Then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. The Jewish people thought, hey, listen, because we're Jewish, we get a little bit of a free pass here. But God says, I don't show favoritism. And you know what? We can fall into that same kind of trap. We can fall into this trap where we feel like we deserve this kind of favoritism from God because we do certain things right? We're storing up, you know, God points. We get special privilege because we give and serve and pray that we get Bible bucks that we get to hang on to. And when we need to turn in our Bible bucks, we just turn them back into God. And like, God, remember, we earned all these Bible bucks. So uh, here we go. Like, what things do we do, right? What things do we do that we think earn us special privileges? Do you attend church? I thought I'd start you off easy, Right, so you get a few Bible bucks to start. Do you come from a Christian family? Do you have Christian presets on your car radio? (laughs) Did you ever raise your hand after a sermon? Did you ever repeat a prayer after the pastor? Have you ever worn a WWJD bracelet? (laughs) Do you own more than three Bibles? Have you ever been in a church directory? Do you volunteer in the nursery? Uh, Extra Bible bucks. If you volunteer in the nursery. Is your ringtone a worship song? That counts. Have you ever kissed dating goodbye? Do you say bless their heart before you talk bad about somebody? (laughs) Yeah. Under religious views, does your Facebook page say Christ follower? Do you you give money to the church? Do you sponsor a compassion child? See, the list can go on and on and on. And we have this sense, a little bit of special privileges that we deserve because we do all of these things for God. And so we feel like because we do these things, because this is the life that I'm living, it gives me the right to sit on the jury, to pass judgment on other people. And so, yes, we judge other people. And I'm surprised how often I catch myself judging other people. I'm surprised how often I can look at somebody and by the way they are dressed, decide what they are like on the inside. Right? We judge other people. You know? Kids, you sit in front of that computer way too much and as soon as this football game is over, I'm turning it off and we're turning that computer off. (laughs) Or... Can you believe the way that she raises those kids? Or can you believe he yelled like that in public? That guy is out of control. What's going on in his world? Oh, you live there? I know your neighbor. They do. And we judge people. And we judge people. You know why we judge people? We judge people so that we feel better about ourselves. We judge people so that we can have people underneath us. We figure that this world has this system, right? And it's just this ranking system, and it's like 1 to 7 billion. And we know that we're never going to be one, because we've read about Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, and we're like, whatever. But as long as we're not at the bottom, right? And so we judge people so that we can kind of move up the rankings and what's funny is we never judge ourselves against the people who really do the good stuff like i don't ever judge myself against the husband who sets the bar a little too high with the perfect house and the perfect yard and the perfect kids the husband that always makes dinner and jobs and no no i don't judge myself against him i judge myself against the guy that i know a few stories about so that when i mess up i can tell my wife well at least you're not married to him because yeah i could tell you some stories right we judge to feel better about ourselves. Judging is, it's like the BCS rankings, all right? Because you need the people above you to lose so that you can move up in the rankings. So if you're a Ducks fan, you need three or four teams to lose so that you can kind of get back in the mix of this national championship hunt. If you're a Beavers fan, you'll get them next year, right? what you said last year. Um, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking and he says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, do not judge. Now I know that it seems like that statement is a little vague. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? I mean, really, this is the picture that he's painting right here. All right? (laughs) Now, what is it about this posture that we think gives us a right to point out the speck in somebody else's eye? All right? Like, seriously, people, when you come to church, well, you shouldn't wear jeans or anything. You're so underdressed. Right? Santa <laughs> shoes on the platform. Right? But that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like when we step out and we start judging other people. Jesus says in verse 5, you hypocrite. which is the word for actor. It's the word for somebody who hides behind a mask. It's a word that means that your walk doesn't match your talk. It means that you're more concerned about how other people see you than how God sees you. It means that you're more concerned about the show of your life than the substance of your life. You hypocrite. First Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this doesn't mean that there isn't a time that you can say things are right and wrong. You know, sometimes we flip that phrase, and we say, don't judge me. Don't you judge me. And usually it's after you've eaten like a box of Oreos or something. You're like, don't judge me. Right? But we flip it. When we do stuff in our life, we're like, don't judge me. There's a time and a place that you can say things are wrong. And that's okay. But what this verse is saying, it's saying you got to deal with your own stuff first. First you have to deal with what's going on in your own world. Because back in Romans, it says you have no excuse. You who judge others do the very same thing. And so I look back at this list in Romans chapter 1. This list that that Paul talks about when you replace God and you kind of slip into these things, what's what's on this list? What are some of the very same things that I judge others that I do myself? And so there's evil and greed and depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. So, how do we do on that list? I mean, imagine if you put your name at the beginning of that list, or imagine if that list looked just a little bit different. Instead of this way, imagine if the list looked like that. Imagine if there were check marks next to the things on the list. Imagine if you gave this list to your husband or your wife or your parents or your kids and you said, listen, I would love for you to kind of check me on this list. Am I greedy? Depravity, which is immorality. Envy, which is, man, I wish I had that. Or, or even the uglier side of envy is they don't deserve that. I, I should have that. Why do they have that? Maybe you get to murder and you're like, well, at least I got one that I'm not struggling with. <laughs> you know, but think about the time. I mean, think about in Acts 7, Paul standing there while they're stoning Stephen. And, and then think about Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, listen, it's not just the act that makes it wrong it's the thought that makes it wrong strife which is quarreling which is arguing deceit malice malicious behavior gossip now we know that Christians don't gossip they just share prayer requests (laughs) That's what we do But we have a bad habit, honestly. Here's what we do. We talk about people, not to people. Or we listen to people talk about people and never say anything. Slanderers. God-haters. Insolent, which is rude and disrespectful. Pride. Arrogance. Boastful. Inventing ways... Of doing evil? You know, I I feel like, man, we've kind of tracked down every way that you can do evil. It seems like it, doesn't it? But I, I just feel like more and more, you know, computer comes out, the internet comes out, and we're like, oh, there's just a whole new way for people to struggle. I work with amazing high school students, and sometimes the guys talk to me about their iPod touches, right? The little iPod touch that's supposed to be music, well, it gets Wi-Fi, And there's no internet history on it. Nobody can come and track you about where you've been on your iPod, but it still gets the internet. And they're like, this thing's killing me. Inventing ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, which honestly at first go through, I'm like, why is that on the list? I mean, we've got murder and we've got malice. We've got disobeying your parents. It doesn't seem like it fits on the same scale. It's a big deal. And already I know it's you don't know my parents. You don't know how I struggle with my parents. They refuse to understand, it says. Infidelity, which is breaking promises. No love, no mercy. Have you ever used the expression in the business world? It's it's not personal, it's just business an excuse that feels like gives you the green light to kind of do what you want to do. And I know there are excuses. There are excuses that we use when we look at this list. But they, but they started, but they did this. But, but they, one time won't hurt. I can handle it. I, I can handle that. I can handle this. A common excuse I hear from students is, but we're in love, which gives us liberty to do. Or how about this? It's just the way that I am. It's just how I am. Some of these things, it's just the way that I am. And sometimes we even use Scripture to back up our sin galatians chapter 6 you reap what you sow it says a truth of scripture right a truth of scripture that we use sometimes for when other people are suffering well you, you reap what you sow right which doesn't always show love or mercy we use it that way well they did it they deserve it you do the crime you do the time right 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Stand firm, let mo- nothing move you. Some people haven't moved in years. <laughs> right? And so we use these verses, and, we, and we've sat in this place, and we feel like we're justified in that. But you know what? After looking at that list, we should start to feel that shift. We should start to feel that shift from, from the jury box to being the defendant. And we should start to get that understanding that it's not us who cast the judgment. It's the charges are being leveled against us and we've been found guilty. And when I first was tracking this list, I started praying this prayer from Psalm 139. And this is prayer that David prays and it's a great prayer where he says, search me and test me and try me and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so I'm like, okay, God, I'm looking at this list and I'm like, God, search me and test me and try me and see if there's any offensive way in me. And then I'm like, no, wait a second. My prayer is, is forgive me. That God, as I, as I look at this list, I understand that these are things that I struggle with. And, and I've been searched and tested and tried. God, what I need is forgiveness. Because I'm not the judge. And I'm not in the jury. I'm the defendant at this point. And we need to stop passing judgment. And we need to stop being judgmental. And we need to repent because there is a judgment. We have a righteous judge, like we read in verse 2, who judges based on truth. Verse 16 of chapter 2 says, God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. God will judge men's secrets. So we come back to this story of Jennifer sitting there, keeping her secret about what she was doing, when all the time she was doing what the other person was on trial for. And the judgment is coming. And the judgment was coming for her as well. But you know what? This passage is about more than that. I want to read verse 3 to you again. It says, when you a mere man pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Verse four, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Again, written to the Jews who thought, listen, we're chosen. We're the chosen people. We haven't been unchosen as God's people, so the way that we're living must be correct. And so we can think that as well. You know, kind of God hasn't wiped me out with a lightning bolt yet, so the way that I'm living must not be too bad, and so I'm just going to kind of keep walking the way I'm walking. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. But it says, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. You see, there there is a judgment, but it isn't just God judges and then squishes you out with his thumb. There is a righteous judgment coming, but God's kindness then leads you to repentance. Repentance. The passage is about God's goodness. It's about his patience. It's about his restraint when he could do these things. He's kind so that we will repent. He's a loving God. This picture of God, sometimes we struggle with this picture of God. We think God is this judge who is just looking at us, and he is just shaking his head side to side. And the judgment that we feel from God turns us off. Well, if you're going to judge me, whatever. But this passage is saying that it's God's kindness, that his his persistent pursuing of us, his patience with us, his wooing us to himself. Get this picture in your head, not of this judge, but of the father of the prodigal son. Where Luke 15 says that when his son was away and was sinning, that he watched and that he waited. It says he's full of compassion. It says when he saw his son in the distance, he ran towards him, not away from him, with his arms open wide. Get this picture of this is God with us. That even though we're guilty, he is waiting, waiting for us to repent. And repent is not just sorrow. It's not just feeling bad. Repent is saying, okay, I'm going in this direction, and then I repent. It's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, and it's a total change of direction. So if you're walking one way in the sinful things that you're doing, it's a turning around and walking towards the cross. Walking towards the God who is full of compassion, whose arms are open wide, who is persistently pursuing us. And so I wonder, how then do I judge myself on these things? How do I check myself? Because oftentimes I have a a blindness to these things because it's my life, and I'm used to these things in my world. And we need people to come alongside us, and we need people to speak into our worlds, and we need to ask difficult questions of people, and we need God's Spirit in our lives. And we need God's Spirit convicting us, and we need to be sensitive towards that spirit. And so I want to give us a chance this morning, as we've talked about this, to understand, first of all, listen, we're not the judge. We're not the jury. We're the defendant. And the things that we've been accusing other people of, we have been found guilty of. But God's kindness is calling us to repentance.